This is our second week in Advent, and our texts talk about journeying. Isaiah talks about a highway that will be there, and there will not be any lions or wolves or anything that will seek to harm or devour, and uh, no ravenous beast will be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. So he talks about journeying. And then in Romans, Paul is talking also about journeying in Romans 6, when he's talking about our baptism. And then finally, in our gospel for today, when Jesus has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the text talks about a colt or a donkey that the Savior sits on, much like the donkey that Mary and Joseph sat on when they ventured, when they journeyed to Bethlehem. Are you traveling for Christmas? I know it may be a ridiculous question because of the pandemic that we are in right now, but who knows what will happen by then. Or perhaps you're preparing your home for some visitors who might come for the holiday season. Could be a difficult and dangerous time to travel, considering the crowds of other travelers, the high costs, maybe the difficulty getting reservations or being tested. Some of those same issues may have been concerns for Mary and Joseph as well. These are the very first Christmas travelers. They may have been worried about the cost of travel, where they're paying their taxes, where they were gonna stay while they were on the road. It wasn't just a day's journey. And about the crowds in Bethlehem, were they going to be able to get a room? He, Joseph didn't telephone ahead or send a pigeon with a message. Apparently they had no reservation, but probably nobody else did as well. My family used to travel when I was a child without reservations. We'd pull into a motel and ask if there was room, and sometimes we'd be traveling till one or two in the morning. But there was a greater concern. Mary was expecting a child, the holy child, long promised, long awaited, the Son of God. And they were on a journey. They had no idea where they would end up but they knew that God was with them. On the journey itself, she would have been sitting for hours, if not days, on a bumpy, rocky road. And it makes me think of when we lived in Panama. Our preaching station and that mission were all in the mountains. They were off on rocky roads, and Becky traveled these with me in our Jeep, and it was impossible to go more than five or so miles an hour over rock roads hewn out of the mountains, and she was pregnant. And she did this up until the ninth month. Wow. But Mary and Joseph traveled by mule train, not a jeep. Walking in mules were the forms of transportation in the Middle East in the year zero. Mary and Joseph, of course, were not the first people in Scripture to set out on journey. The people of God always seemed to be on a move one way or another right from the beginning Although they probably did not want to go, Adam and Eve were driven away from the Garden of Eden, you remember, and prevented them from eating the tree from the Tree of Life. Their descendant Noah and his family set sail in an ark, saved at God's command from the flood that destroyed the sin-filled world. God told the patriarch Abraham to leave his homeland and set out on a journey towards a land that he did not know, but it was going to be rich in the promised land that would belong to him and his descendants. One of Abraham's descendants, Joseph, was an unwilling traveler as he was sold into slavery in Egypt by his jealous brothers. 
that trip to Egypt resulted in a long rest stop of some 400 years where they were slaves in generations of Israelites until God set his people up for the move once again. God sent Moses to lead them, a man who had done some traveling himself, including a Nile River cruise as an infant in a basket. After 40 years of travel, the people of Israel wandering through the wilderness finally reached the land that God had promised to them. They were home, but it would not last. The Israelites rebelled against the God who had led them to their home, and they disobeyed his laws and worshipped other gods. And for this disobedience, they would be sent away yet again from the land God had given them, driven out by marauders. Not only individual people of God were on a journey, but now the whole nation of Israel was on a journey. As other nations rose to power, and by God's judgment, they conquered God's people, destroying Jerusalem and the temple and taking many of the people captive. That meant another terrible journey for them, from the homeland of Israel into exile in Babylon and then Assyria. But at the right time, God caused a pagan king to release his people from captivity and sent them back home again. Jerusalem and the temple were rebuilt. But there were more rebellions and more enemies within and without. Now it was Rome. The Roman Empire conquered Israel, and the people stayed in their land this time, but they became subjects of a foreign power. And it was in that permanent place that the temples regained its significance and centrality of religious worship for the people of Israel. No longer traveling, Israel's theology became centered in a place, the temple, rather than a journey, a significance that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But it was a ruler of that foreign power, Caesar Augustus, who issued the decree that set Joseph and Mary on the road to Bethlehem where, according to the prophet, Mary's son must be born. Yet the traveling did not stop there after Jesus was born. Sometime after Jesus' birth, wise men, traveling from the east following a star, find the newborn king. Their visit prompted a quick and frightening escape as Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt to save the infant king from the mur murderous wrath of King Herod. And again, when Jesus was about 30 years old, he set out on the road again, traveling throughout Palestine from town to town the three years of his earthly ministry, teaching, feeding, and healing the people. Finally, the day came for him to begin his final journey, his final earthly journey, and he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, as we heard in our gospel reading. His excited followers waved palm branches like flags and threw down coats and branches to make a red carpet for the humble king. They shouted, Hosanna! And that shout of praise means, save us now. And that is exactly what Jesus had come to Jerusalem to do, to save them, to save us all by shedding his blood on the cross. Less than a week later, the child of Bethlehem, now a king crowned with thorns, would travel again through the streets of Jerusalem, but this time bent beneath the heavy burden of his cross. And on the cross he suffered and died, taking on to himself the penalty of the death that we had earned for our sins, the penalty that we deserved. When that Good Friday was over, Jesus would be carried one last earthly journey as friends prepared for him a burial site 
concealed his body in a borrowed tomb. But what apparently seemed to be the end of the road was actually just the beginning of the journey. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And that is where our journey with our Lord begins, at that empty tomb. Paul reminds us that we were buried with Jesus in our journey in baptism, buried into that tomb with him, and raised up to walk in the newness of life. We are no longer captive to sin and death, and we now walk in love. We journey through life as Jesus our Savior walked, living in love and service toward others as he did. But all this journeying and traveling is making me somewhat tired. And I'm asking myself the question, what's my takeaway in all of this? What's your takeaway in all of this? What can we learn? Jesus, our Savior, left his heavenly home and walked the dusty roads of this earth because you and I still travel, although be it at times in the wrong direction. Every day in our thoughts, in our words, and our actions, we turn away from walking in the paths of righteousness, from walking in God's commandments, and find some tempting path of our own to choose. We know that God wants us to walk in love, but often we choose to walk along paths of gossip or jealousy or hate. We would rather serve ourselves than follow Jesus' example in serving others. We put our own interests ahead of the needs of others. Well, Jesus took all of those sinful thoughts and words and actions onto himself, and he carried them in his own body to the tree of the cross. There he suffered and died for our wandering away from God so that our sins would be forgiven for his sake. Forgiven and restored, we now daily rise up to walk in newness of life, led by the Holy Spirit and living by faith in our crucified and risen Lord. And so we travel now, trusting in Jesus, our crucified and risen Lord, our Savior, the child of Bethlehem, whose birth we will soon celebrate, is an experienced seasoned traveler. We may not know what lies ahead of us on our journey, like Mary and Joseph. What good times or frightening times may lie ahead for us. But Jesus knows. He has walked in our footsteps before us. And so our life is a journey in which we walk by faith and not by sight, trusting him to lead us and to travel with us on the road as we journey through life now and into eternal life in his presence. There is, however, more here that we want to take away regarding this scriptural imagery of journey. Namely, understanding your faith as part of your journey through life instead of something static, like a right answer to a theological question. In other words, as a journey, your faith is active as you live in your daily relationship with God and other people. It's challenged and it's renewed daily as you meet differing circumstances. Your faith is a journey on which God is with you. Your faith is not a stagnant monolithic system of doctrines that provide right answers to tough theological questions or scenarios. Your faith is not merely a place to which you go to retreat and shield yourselves from the world. It is, however, your shield as you go out and journey into the world, offering salvation to those yet in the bondage of sin and death. Here's proof. 
consider the people of faith that we just mentioned. Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the prophets, Joseph, Mary, Jesus himself, and then later the disciples. Their faith was molded. It grew. It changed as they put it into action and journeyed through life directed by God. And it continued after Jesus' resurrection, as even the disciples were instructed not to stay in a place shielding their faith in the risen Lord in the upper room after Christ's crucifixion. They were instructed to journey out with that faith and give witness to Christ's resurrection. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. So if you understand your faith as a journey, that is a theology of journey. In a theology of journey, you nurture your relationship with God on a daily basis in every aspect of your lives, every challenge that you meet, every crossroads that you come upon, your faith and walk with Jesus is there with you. Your faith is centered in that relationship with he who makes all things new. So when you do meet a decision to enter a dead-end path or a crossroads or a difficult road, he is always there with you. When you err, he forgives. When you need to witness for him to others, he is there and gives you the words. In all aspects of your journey, he is there with you. You build your relationship with God as he comes to you in his word, in his sacraments, and you engage in the world around you. Viewing your faith as a journey, your relationship with God always grows as faith is challenged and renewed in your daily life. The alternative, however, to a theology of journey is a theology of place. If you characterize your faith as something that is exercised only at a church service or in a church building, you have a theology of place. In other words, your faith is limited and exercised only in this place on Sunday mornings. You attend church in this place and you go home and wait for the next Sunday to come. It is so important to understand this because a theology of place has its risks. For example, after the Jews returned from exile, they worshiped and sacrificed in the temple. They had a theology of place. The temple was the place where it was said God dwelled. You may well remember that the Pharisees and Sadducees was all about that temple. God was only found in the temple, in its ceremonies, in its strict obedience to tradition and ceremony and the laws. Imbuing your faith as limited to a place, you run the risk of becoming comfortable merely with traditions and ceremonies. Sunday worship is the only place where you encounter God. The risk is that you live Sunday to Sunday in a church-going routine without considering your faith during the week in prayer or in scripture study. Your relationship may be with a place rather than with the Lord, and that you will have to consider. There's more to this, though. Your individual journey of faith is part of a congregational journey, a journey of the family of God, family of believers. The disciples were sent out to proclaim and share God's message of salvation. God's mission was a journey in life of the individual and in the life of the body of believers. They were not told to remain in, which, in a place where they could share their faith and do God's mission. They had no central place of worship building. They moved from town to town. In the New Testament, the church is not a place. 
certainly not a safe place or a comfortable place. Believers were persecuted. They met in upper rooms. They met in synagogues together with Jews. They met in caves, tunnels, underground, open fields, ever-changing. Wherever they gathered together for prayer and worship, they grew in their faith because God was present with them through his word. His Holy Spirit was with them, and they lived among them unbelievers and brought unbelievers to the knowledge of Christ. The congregation was the family of God, the group of people, not a building. Their theology, a theology of journey, not a theology of place. The difference between conceptualizing our family of faith as a journey instead of a place directly affects the mission of congregations today and ours as well. A congregational family normally looks to their place of worship, their congregation, as the place where they learn about God, his word. And it certainly is. Their faith is strengthened in that place of worship through the study of his word and the celebration of his sacraments. But congregations can become comfortable with the place and the building as the source of their faith. They become comfortable with a set liturgy or worship style, songs and ways of celebration. You can hear it in comments such as, that's not the way we do things here, or we've always celebrated that in this way. Or as one person said in Fort Wayne in a church, in a congregation where I was, I was Lutheran before I was Christian. These reveal an ever-present danger for you in that a place and a tradition, a traditional way of doing things, is the place where we find God. The religious culture that develops in a congregation among the family in their traditions and worship style begins to replace their Christian identity from around Jesus and God's word and centers it in a place. It is, after all, God's word that transforms our lives and even that place, whatever that place may be, into a sacred space in which God is with us. God's family, the true congregation of God, always exists wherever God's word is preached and his sacraments rightly administered, regardless of place, traditions, and customs. I invite you to take a simple test right now that you can, that can show you how you could possibly view your faith as either a part of a journey or reliant on a place. Look at our Christmas time name for Jesus. It's given in Matthew chapter 2. Emmanuel. Matthew says, he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now, do you understand God with us to mean in this place with us? God with us in this building? Or do you understand God with us to be the journey to which he has called you to faith and to go and make disciples? There is no right or wrong answer, but it will affect how you understand your calling and purpose in the mission of God in the world. As God's children, the blood of Jesus Christ has saved you. You are forgiven and have been given eternal life through his resurrection. Today you are being called to journey to celebrate your relationship with your Savior as a journey, a continual journey, called to journey by faith as Mary and Joseph were. 
on this journey, your faith and relationship with Christ is sustained through his word and his sacraments. Understand that as we worship together, this place, even if it's online, is a place that is sanctified only by God's word being present in it. Wherever you may worship, online, in a school building, in a cafeteria, in a field, in a church proper, your faith is in a living God who journeys with you and travels with you through his word and his sacraments. He is on your journey with you through the desert of life. And through your words and actions, God the Father momentarily finds a place for the Savior to be born in the heart of someone who does not know him perhaps a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, and then your journey continues to the next place until all people who live in darkness have seen a great light. Amen. <laughs>